just uh, a few words to begin with tonight about the 100-day retreat. Just a reminder that um, whether it is the 10th day or the 50th day or the 60th day or the 101st day of the retreat, uh, it should never be forgotten that what we are all looking for is uh, what we are all trying to remember is uh, always there, whether it's the first, the 50th, the 60th, or the 101st. What the Buddha realized under the Bodhi tree was that in his nature that is unconditioned, unborn, not subject to the 100-day retreat, but that in us which is inherently free, unbound, but because of confusion uh, gets obscured, because of greed in our minds, because of hatred in our minds, because of ignorance, this, uh, this inherent freedom becomes obscured. So remembering that in a hundred days, we don't need a hundred days to realize that we are already here now what we are looking for. We don't have to, not only do we not have to spend a hundred days to discover that, we do not even need to move a muscle to discover that. We simply need to settle back and turn our attention toward attention itself, toward the very nature of the mind through which you are perceiving right now. That is, has no beginning, no end. It's not, it, is, it doesn't depend on a hundred days. However, as the great paradoxes of life go, encapsulated in the phrase, you are perfect just as you are, and you can also use a little improvement. As the great paradoxes go, we do often need time, need a hundred days, we need a lot more than a hundred days to begin to weed out that which arises continuously and obscures that natural freedom. That's here. And so it's important in every practice period, remembering that the freedom that you're seeking is your own nature and is fulfilled in every moment that you don't have to go anywhere to find it. Nevertheless, it's very important to notice what it is that arises that obscures that, that obscures your natural freedom. The first and most obvious is the thought, I'm not free. Any of you ever have that one? That thought points to points completely into the world of time and our imagination. That thought, I am not free. It's just an idea. It depends on memory. Depends on some kind of 
picture in your mind of what freedom would be. But we can't find, not only can we not find bondage in real time, in the immediate present, but we can't even find the one who's bound in the immediate present. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Can't find the one, that little person in our mind that gets created says, I am not free. It's our imagination suggesting such a, a fate of bondage. Clearly, freedom, the freedom that we are intending to discover, is, uh, it's, it's, both, it's beyond bondage, and it's also beyond freedom. It's not, it's not limited. But there are tendencies of mind that obscure that natural freedom, that understanding. And the Buddha highlighted them very clearly in his teaching, pointing to five tendencies of mind, and I'll say them briefly tonight, five tendencies of mind that tend to keep us entranced in the belief that we're not free and in the belief that our freedom cannot be found here, but it has to be found somewhere else. And that somehow conditions have to change in our lives in order to, to be free. So what are those five common, we could call them trances, obscurations, hindrances? The first one is that the wanting mind, the desire that our mind comes up with for pleasures of the senses. Endless, endless cavalcade of desires that hypnotize us into thinking that the present moment is not the place to find freedom, but it has to be after the acquisition of some kind of pleasure, some kind of experience, some kind of person, some kind of place. And that when our mind is, is uh, filled and when we are living in that world of our imagined, that world of imagined happiness, we, we don't see that we are what we're looking for. We just miss it. We miss the the open secret. And our mind just leaps out into the world of time, the imagined world of time. And it is, time is our imagination because we can't find the future here, can't find the past here, you can't even find a present here. That's just another idea. No such thing as now even. Just another idea. Useful idea. It distinguishes our life from then. <laughs> but really, there's, it's really hard to find now or then. They're both our imagination. But nevertheless, when the mind is filled with wanting, it constructs a world of time. And once we enter the world of time... We enter the world of insecurity, the world of anxiety, because time is always running out, and there's always the potential that I won't get what I want, and so that potential, that uncertainty get, leaves me with a sense of suspended happiness, a sense of anxiety, and clearly I overlook, I, I forget that I am the Buddha. I forget that I'm not bound. I think that I am bound and dependent completely on whether or not I get what I want. 
And then there's um, the second quality that's just the flip side of the first one. It's called aversion. Ill will, anger. The mind that sense says that something I, something is wrong with this situation, this world, these people, this condition that I have, and it, I have to get rid of something, I have to push away something, I have to deny something, I have to strike out at something in order to find relief. And this particular trance makes our sense of well-being dependent on really makes us very dependent on uh, on outer conditions or even inner conditions for our sense of well-being. It says, "I can't be happy until I get rid of that. Until uh, until the until the sun comes out, as the clouds are making me depressed. Till the till I till people stop making noise in the meditation practice because they disrupt my." equilibrium and we fail to understand that what really it's never the object of our ill will it's, it's easy to talk about it's another to actually realize this but it's never the object of our ill will that's creating the problem but it's our loss of contact with that Buddha nature with that intrinsic freedom it's that disconnect from the immediate unfolding present and the, again, entering into the trance of time and the need for things to be different. So the first one is wanting what I don't have, and the second one is not wanting what I do have. These two, the Buddha considered two of the main causes of, of dukkha, of, of stress, of that which is difficult to bear. A deeply conditioned habit of wanting things to be different than the way they are. We... We all have this disease. And the good news is that in this practice of reawakening, of this practice of discovery, we use these mental states. We use them in the service of awakening. We try to be mindful of them. And being mindful of them wakes us up to where we, are actually, we actually are. So we don't have to get rid of any of these states. We simply have to use them, put them to good use. And... The third mental state, common one, it's all tied into the first two, is a state of, of restlessness and agitation and worry. This is a composite of the third hindrance. Restless, and, restless is the kind of felt sense, agitated, felt experience, but often it, it's the mental state associated with it is worry about the future, uh, agitation is uh, is just an unsettled feeling, not being settled in the present moment. But often it's because of worry about what's next. It's often about regret or guilt about what's already happened. So it's the it's the entering of the again the trance of time that obscures the timeless present and makes us think that uh, that I can solve something that's already happened, not knowing that the past is gone, only existing as thoughts in the present. Futures unborn only exists as thoughts in the present, worry, fantasy, hope, whatever. And to the degree that I'm under the misunderstanding that these two worlds of past and future don't truly exist, there's a tendency to have my well-being 
uh, living in a complete virtual reality. And that our body finds that very unsettling. And so we feel restless, agitated, and with the different states of worry or guilt or remorse, all those things. So it's a good one to notice. Not easy to sit with restlessness. It's not easy to sit with worry or agitation. But it's a lot easier to feel it when all is said and done. It's not our habit, but it's a lot easier to feel it than to stay in the story of anxiety or worry. To stay in the story of regret and guilt. Those just keep generating more and more physical, mental discomfort. But the felt sense of it grounds us, gets, helps us become rooted in the unfolding present. And even though there isn't one, but much more of a sense of oriented toward now. How do you feel when I say there's no present? There's no now. That's really fun to say. Because it, it tells me, it just reminds me that, that I tend to live in, in the world of concepts and take them for granted. Because of their usefulness, I forget that they're just overlays on a completely mysterious, indescribable reality. And that the beauty of seeing through that illusion is we can taste that reality and realize that the reality is you, is me. That reality is me before I can create that little picture of a me. But the direct experience, the direct knowing. And in that moment, I realize I am the Buddha. All I can say about myself is I'm awake. And even that is too much. Even that approximates reality. It can't really capture the, the mystery of it all. So whether it takes, it still takes a hundred days at least to get to know all the things that arise that obscure this suchness, this natural great peace, this truth of in, inherent freedom. But it's really helpful to be able to identify and know the common ways that uh, things that arise that obscure that. So desire, aversion, restlessness, and agitation. Tendency toward dullness, otherwise known as sloth and torpor. Tendency to just fog over, to get so... It sometimes doesn't have much to do with being tired. It just is a habit of mind that just wants to check out. Sometimes it is just from an imbalance of, of our energy. You know, we're just tired. But sometimes it's just, I don't want to experience life so intimately. It's too much. It's too wonderful even. There's a habit of kind of dulling out. This habit can make life really um, feel harder than it necessarily has to be. Yet, when we, when we use it, when we notice it, when we notice this state of mind, sometimes the very act of noticing it, of sensing how it feels in our body, turning the light on the very state itself, 
begins to awaken our vital energy, begins to, uh, to clear the, the dust of memory, clear the dust of mental habit, and reveal once again this natural um, brightness, this light of attention, easily obscured. And we can even then form a whole identity as somebody who's got low energy or dull. Or, it's, it's not true of anybody. There's not one person here that has low energy. How many of you have landed in that identity? Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> so, you know, so right now, where is low energy? Where is the one who, who is low energy? It's a dream. Now, it may approximate the way we feel sometimes, but it's, a, it's as all of these mental states are, they're changing conditions. They're just weather patterns. They're not, uh, they're not self-defining, but they tend to be greedy, aversive, worried, restless, dull. The, th- the last one that really obscures, that arises and obscures our, our nature is doubt and confusion. Doubt about ourselves, doubt about our potential, doubt about the world. Any of you have any doubt about the world these days? How, does it, how do you feel? Do you land in that, in that state? Does it, do you water it with continual, continual rumination? Do you feel more free when you've had a good, th- when you've had a good thought about it? This 100-day practice period gives us an amazing opportunity to make that shift from identity and belief in the whole world of doubt and confusion about me and the world and everything to be able to say, oh, this is the doubting mind. This is confusion. This is, this is uncertainty. This is skepticism. This is contra- uh, contracted doubt. I don't mean the great doubt that... That's that state of wonder, that state of I don't know. But it's the skeptical doubt, the critical doubt that says, no, it's not working. It won't work for me. Everybody else it might work for. Everybody else is getting enlightened, and I'm just, I'm miserable. How many of you have landed in that today, yesterday, every day? Good news is we can use this too. Put it to good use. Put it to good use. So there's both nothing to do and undo just to remember our true nature, but at the same time, vigilance to all the things that arise that obscure that Buddha nature, that's our practice. And creating the the quality and the conditions, the inner conditions to be able to see that and put it to good use, to all those mental states. A blessing that I do every, almost every Tuesday, I think for the last forever. I say the words, may all beings, it's, I borrow this from, I know I've created my own little version of it, but I borrow it from the Tibetan tradition primarily. They say, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. And I usually add the word increasing. But in the traditional in the traditional recitation, it's may all beings have happiness and the cause of happiness, which is virtue. 
which is acting in ways that are non-harming. Other things that obscure our Buddha nature are harmful acts. Of course, it's the forces of greed and hatred and ignorance in our minds, but it's the acts of, of uh, killing, not respecting life, of stealing, not taking that which is, uh, or taking that which is not offered, of being exploitive or causing harm with our sexual relationships in our mind and in our actions, uh, causing harm with our speech, causing harm with the use of intoxicants, all kinds of intoxicants, and use, including electronic ones. These tendencies of mind that become hardened into habit, harden, and the habits that harden into addiction, they, they arise and obscure this Buddha nature. So we use our hundred days and beyond to keep weeding out those things in our life that obscure, those things that get in the way of, of being able to enjoy this natural great peace and freedom that is our, that is our natural state. When we don't look back and we don't look ahead, so easily missed. Other, while I'm at it, beyond the virtue, the, the Buddha said that there are basically three primary areas that give rise to, to happiness. What really causes happiness in our life. After all, the Buddha was called Sukhiya, or the happy one. And he said that happiness comes through the purification that's that weeding out, as I was just saying, purification of our actions. I've spoken of that already. But he also described how our happiness comes through purification of our mind, which means continually creating the conditions to see and to see and use what's in our mind to bring us into this vital present, to keep relentlessly relentlessly orienting ourselves toward what's happening in the here and now so that we, we retain, we recover, as I talked about when, during the sitting, as we, we recover our vital energy, our, that sense of immediacy, that sense of, that, of aliveness that's so different from past and future that are mental and tend to diminish our vitality. We both recover our vitality by being present we develop a sense of one-pointedness, are able to, fi- to find a calm and clear abiding in the present moment, to f- experience the, the fruits of that calm abiding, the fruits in terms of a sense of great comfort, great rapture, great interest, great sense of one-pointedness, of immovability, a great sense of... of um, of connection, of love, of love with everything that, uh, that we touch and touches us in any moment. This is the, the fruit of purity of mind, the purification of mind, the development of concentration, and the development of, of this capacity called mindfulness, wise mindfulness, that, that allows us to clearly comprehend what's happening in this moment. Because if I can clearly comprehend what's happening in this moment, 
in that moment of clearly comprehending what's happening, if you can clearly comprehend what's happening right now, you cannot suffer in the same moment as a moment of mindfulness and clear comprehension. So why is, so building the habit of mindful attention, building the, the building blocks of calm, of, of concentration and tranquility, building the, 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 rebuilding our vital energy, all of these things help us weed out, see what arises that obscures our, our natural wakefulness, our natural state, but also in the process gives us, um, gives us a feeling of happiness, the happiness of concentration, and then mindfulness leads to the happiness of insight, the third part of the Noble Eightfold Path that includes wise intention, wise understanding. Wise understanding that life has within it a lot of stress. And that stress is true for everyone. No one's immune to it. It's not just us. It's not all about us. Even though our our mind will tell us it's all about me. Even when somebody's making noise here, it's all about me. Even everything I'm saying tonight, it's all about me. But wise, wise understanding is that life has stress in it. What adds to that stress, what increases the stress, is that tendency to want things to be different than the way they are. That manifests as this, a kind of craving, a dependency on what's next, a dependency on getting rid of or having more. Depending, that has a dependency on becoming somebody. Remember, this 100 days is not about becoming somebody. It's about realizing what is always is already right here. And so the point is to, is to not build a new edifice of spiritual materialism, a new, better spiritual self. It's to strip away all views of self from the Avatamsaka Sutta. I think I even shared it last week. That simply said, all uh, having no view of self, one is always peaceful. So we don't have to build a, a new monument to me. We simply have to be present and in that way cure our fatigue, cure our misunderstanding, come home to what we always and already are. So the second, the first truth that's stressful, what adds to it is that continual demand to be different, to demand for what's next. But fortunately, wise understanding tells us there's an end to that. There's a cessation of, of that need for things to be different. There's freedom. And that's realized by letting go, by letting be, letting things be as they are. And of course... If we could do that, then we could see what really needs to be done. Instead of being so busy trying to build ourselves that, we, that we're not even able to be responsive to the, to the suffering that we see in ourselves or each other. So we let go and we see and we find freedom right in the midst of it. And then we go about acting in ways that are non-harming, acting in ways that are helpful, 
we develop the, the paramis, the, the purity of generosity, of patience, of concentration, of calm. Of, we develop all the enlightenment factors. We develop the Eightfold Path, our speech, our action. We, we spend every day trying not to cause harm with our speech. How many of you have done that this week? Spend every day uh, seeing if we can keep our mind undistracted and clear rather than, than clouded with dullness or intoxicants. And see if we can take a break from our screens. That's a good start. I've been doing that. That's part of my hundred days is to do more screen breaks. And it's so, my nervous system just loves the break. It just loves not being all tweaked by looking at that strange light all day. So wise understanding is that there is there's dukkha there's that which is difficult there is that which is difficult to bear but there's also the end of it and there's a way to end it and you are that way and that you don't need to lift out of this moment to find it you just need to stay here to stay awake you are what you're looking for but it really helps if you're vigilant and you you come to know very intimately that which arises and obscures that natural freedom. As Hakuin Zenji said, all beings by nature are Buddha. As ice by nature is water. Apart from water, there's no ice. Apart from beings, no Buddha. How sad that people ignore the near and search for truth afar. Like someone in the midst of water, crying out in thirst like a child of a wealthy home, wandering among the poor. Lost on dark paths of ignorance, we wander through the six worlds from dark path to dark path. When shall we be freed from this cycle of existence? These imaginary cycles of existence, I should say. Oh, meditation, to this the highest praise. Devotion, repentance, training to the many perfections, all have their source in meditation. Those who meditate even once wipe away beginningless crimes. Where are all the dark paths then? The pure land itself is near. Those who hear this truth even once and listen with a grateful heart, treasuring it, revering it, gain blessings without end. Much more. Those who turn about and bear witness to self-nature Self-nature that is no nature. Go far beyond mere doctrine. How boundless and free is the sky of awareness. How bright the full moon of wisdom. Truly, is anything missing now? Nirvana is right here before our eyes. This very place, the lotus land. This very body, the Buddha. So isn't it interesting how there's nothing to do, but there's so much to do? And that's the paradox. We're perfect as we are, and we all need a lot of improvement. 
So wondering if there are any comments or questions about anything I said so far? Anything about the hundred days or any of you forgotten about the hundred days? Please. Even if you forget a day to wake up and start again, you just gave the exact right teaching. Even if you forget for a hundred days, you can always begin again. But if you noticed yourself giving yourself a hard time, that's mindfulness. And that's what you, you want to notice that. You don't want to give yourself a hard time, but you want to notice it when you are. Anyone else? Please. Uh, for the second time this year, we've, I've, I've invited everyone to do 100 days of daily life practice, to do four little periods of practice, and in this, to- this particular time to expand something that you want to expand in your life, to widen your circle of love, affection, activism, whatever it is uh, that you'd like to strengthen, whether it could be mindfulness, it could be just your good habits, it could be wise speech, it could be whatever you do, but to do it for 100 days straight. Do it very religiously. And uh, see what the fruits are. And I just wanted to highlight tonight that what we're actually doing is we're highlighting in doing these practices where we are strengthening these wholesome habits, but we're also highlighting all the ways that, uh, that all the things that keep us from being free, keep us from feeling well and happy. So that's it. You can, there's a Facebook page, and it's on our website. You can read about it, missiondharma.org, and the, there's a link for the Facebook page there. Any other comments, questions? Please. <laughs> yes, he the questions about desire. I'm I'm going to Something valuable about desire. Exactly. The Buddha was filled with desire. Yeah, let me just clarify a little bit. The the distinction that the Buddha made was in the in terms of the five hindrances was it was the he specifically talked about the desire for sense pleasures. That the the tendency of our mind is to tether our well being to the gratification of sense pleasures. And in that process, it puts our mind into a state of hunger and thirst. And that state of hunger and thirst, when it's focused and fixated on the objects of pleasures, it puts it into a state of, of, of suspended happiness, of dependency. If I get it, I'll be happy. If I don't, I won't. And... As well, when we do gratify our sense desires, and there are so many of them, and they're so beautiful in this world, and tantric sex is one of them. But when we gratify sense desires, make that our devotion, we 
put ourselves in a, in a kind of uh, bind, in a kind of loop, because the pleasure of those senses eventually fades and leaves in its wake a feeling of loss, a feeling of dissatisfaction, and actually plants the seed for further desire. And so it puts us on a wheel of samsara. So the Buddha didn't suggest that we give up all sense pleasures because the world is sensual, it's beautiful, but to not to have misplaced faith in its capacity to, to deliver us to our true nature. But it actually it keeps obscuring it. It keeps making it harder for us to see clearly and keeps us in a state of hunger and thirst. But he did make a distinction between those desires that are wholesome, that you should, that you should, uh, that you should just go for with all your heart, and that's the desire for freedom, the only desire that no other desire will, can fulfill. And it's understood that if you, go through, if you go for the desire for freedom, which obviously he did, he had the deep longing and desire for freedom, when you, when you satisfy that desire, all the other kinds of pleasures come in the wake of that. You're a- actually able to enjoy life. But if you, if you put your faith in things that g- give only a kind of partial sense of well-being, you miss the, you miss the real juice, the, real, the unassailable, the unconditioned freedom that's already yours, that you don't have to look anywhere for. So it's a matter of distinguishing what's a wholesome desire, what's an unwholesome desire. Another wholesome desire is to, is to, do, uh, is to be a benefit, is to, uh, is, to, uh, um, is to wish for the happiness and well-being of others. I want everybody here to be happy. That's a desire. It's, and I'm going to shout that from the hilltops. And I don't, think it, I, I don't think it will lead to suffering. It will lead to more connection. It won't lead to the isolation that I find myself in when I'm caught in, uh, in disappointment over the, the announcement of an iPhone 4S instead of an iPhone 5. <laughs> I admit it, I felt a little... <laughs> Not really. That's a screen? You're right. <laughs> you felt it too. Thank you. Misery loves company. <laughs> no, I think we. I think I've. Um, I think I've said what I wanted to say. Just a reminder that you are what you're looking for, and have fun seeing all the ways that you all the ways that you get blinded and use it all in the service of awakening all in the on behalf of uh, let everything every bad habit remind you of your love of being free and then nothing goes unused nothing's wasted even your biggest desire your worst craving your your worst feeling of ill will your worst regret, your worst anxiety, your most narrow and skeptical doubt, let it all be the cause of the increase of um, your understanding of inherent freedom and wakefulness so that you can refer to it, so it becomes your true home.
So let's just sit quietly for a few minutes. I'll read you a passage from the Mangalam, an excerpt or an adaptation of the Mangalam Sutra, Sutra, famous sutra of the Buddha, put in more modern language. The Buddha's Discourse on Blessings, that's what it's called. It is a great blessing to spend time in the company of wise people and to honor those who are worthy. To live in a place that is good for you, to do good deeds, to keep yourself going in the right direction. To be well educated and develop your skills, to train yourself in discipline, and to use words carefully and beautifully. To take care of your mother and father, to cherish your partner and children, and to engage in a livelihood that is harmless. It is a blessing to give generously to others, to live with integrity, to care for everyone you consider your family. It is a blessing to avoid doing harm, to be careful with intoxicants, to develop wholesome states of mind. It is a blessing to be respectful, humble, content, and grateful, and to regularly bring spiritual teachings into your life. It is a blessing to be patient, open to learning, to be in touch with people on a spiritual path, and to discuss spiritual teachings. It is a blessing to live simply and in a holy way, to understand the deepest truth and to realize the highest freedom and happiness. It is a blessing to have a mind that is steady, unswayed by ups and downs of life, free of sorrow and shame and at peace. Those who act in these ways cannot be dragged down. Everywhere they go, they find well-being. So may all beings, including us, find happiness and the causes of happiness. May all beings be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. May all beings recognize the sacred happiness, the deepest happiness, that is without sorrow, here and now. And may all beings grow in serenity and equanimity, a boundless serenity and equanimity, able to meet the joys and the sorrows with less grasping, less aversion, and a deep wish that our life be dedicated every day, our life, our work, our practice, be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings be liberated. May all beings be happy. So for all of you doing the 100 days, uh, thanks for joining. There's a, whole, there's a whole throng. So if you haven't, please jump on. And I made the offer last week, and many people took me up on it, of sending me their, their commitment for the next 100 days, what you plan to do, and uh, just so that we're doing it together. And also, there are people who I, off, I also recommended that people 
find buddies to do it with. So if uh, anybody wants a buddy and doesn't have one, please, um, anybody want a buddy and doesn't have one? One person here. There's another person, Kelly. Madison, two people that you can buddy up. There you go. And uh, those who want buddies that don't have them and you decide, go to the Facebook page and put out your message and maybe somebody will respond. Also, just a reminder of the Donna Basket, the teachings freely offered. Your invitation is for you to freely offer support so that it keeps going around giving, receiving. Also, the room rental, $150 a week. Any help with the room rental, much appreciated. So please um, give freely and... Thank you in advance for any support. And this week is Howie's birthday, so maybe we could all sing happy birthday. Happy birthday Thank my, thank my mother and my father. <laughs> thank my mother and father's mother and father. Uh, I was never born. I'm... Anyway, thank you all. Thanks for your practice. And uh, also, uh, oh, Madison, Madison also, who announced last week that she needs housing. She needs some place within three weeks, $500-ish. $500, $500 is. She'd be happy if somebody could offer a $500-plus space. Otherwise, she's going to be living out of her car. So anybody that can come through would be gr very helpful.